0: Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And
1: this is Jesse. Today on Tap, we have Friday the 13th, Part 3, starring Dana Kimmel, Paul Kraka, Tracy Savage, Larry Zerner, and Richard Brooker. Screenplay by Martin Katosser, Carol Watson, and for the first time, uncredited, Petro Papusko. <laughs> I don't think we've ever, I've ever seen an uncredited listed uh, uh, for us, so I'm, I just went ahead and read it. Uh, and directed by Steve Miner. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time to get back in the vein of the spooky season and get back to our slasher film staples. And kind of an ongoing tradition with us is tackling the three major franchises, one film out of a time. We did the ones, we did the twos last year, and now it's time to do, let's just call this Three's Company Slasher Film Edition. How does that sound? I love it. I love it. Excellent, excellent. And we're going to be talking about... With our
0: boy Petro Petrusco, you know what's really disappointing (laughs) is after this film, he really sold out and lost what made him so unique, and it was just... One of the biggest tragedies in Hollywood of all time. I really wish we could go back and
1: fix that, <laughs> term, but <you> know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the unsung hero of of horror screenwriting, Petro Pukusko. Uh What <laughs> could have been? Yeah, uh, from '82, the big uh, of a Hollywood year of 1982. Not only E.T. and the Thing and Blade Runner and Rambo: First Blood. Oh no, First Blood. Uh, mm-hmm. We have uh, this film, Friday the Thirteenth Part Three, in glorious three dimensions. Um, it's going to be fun Mm. to talk about this and it'll be fun to harken back to where we've gone prior in this series and then what this film offers doesn't offer uh, gimmicks uh, galore in this thing but this is going to be a lot of fun Um, Matt I'm actually drinking coffee this morning out of my Jason Voorhees mug
0: (laughs) it seemed appropriate Wow, (laughs) that's a pretty appropriate place because I'm actually out of the same mug but uh, kind of got a little cider deal going here with um, a touch of Bailey's and a little bit of in there. So kind of getting a fall morning drink, I guess, going.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. Well, I don't know about you. I'm ready to get started. Let's jump right into this thing with our flight question. Harry Manfredini decided to really switch it up the for the music for the opening titles for this particular film. We're used to having and strings that sound like the ripping off Psycho. Here they decided to just go full disco with it, and I don't know if I love it or hate it, but it's a jaunty little tune. <laughs> yeah, so the like you said, strange disco is much different than the.
0: Ch-ch-ch-ch-ah that we're used to getting, and I think it's trying to set a tone for the film that's, and might I even border on levity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't say this film is funny, but there's a much a marked difference between the Jason theme song, that echoing, clicking, versus whatever the hell that was. Yeah, so, the... <laughs> um,
1: Jason... Off to the land of
0: gimmicks, I suppose, huh?
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's, it's 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 a one and done for this particular entry in the franchise. but And this gimmick as well, the three dimensions of it all, something must have been in the water in the year 82 because this is also Jaws 3D, and all these film studios and everything are trying to find ways to bring in a hook to their next sequel. And they went to a technique that was pretty popular in the 1950s Uh, three dimensions, not like what it was like when James Cameron did it all with avatar. And it was more about depth than like shit shooting out at you Um, Mm -hmm. here. It was mainly used as a gimmick. So my flight question to you is take any film from the 1980s, um, whether it's this 3d or an imagined better version of three dimension filmmaking what film idea in the 80s could have benefited most from this idea to add more to it?
0: I think that this film suffers, the film that I'm going to mention, suffers from some gimmicks and some problems that directorial were made to make the experience a little bit more family-friendly. We've talked about it a lot, but I want you to think about Cycles through forests and exploding trees and frozen wastelands and large um, walking creatures. So
1: you're talking, (laughs) you're talking about one of four movies right now.
0: (laughs) Well, those are two kind of put together in the same one. Okay. But I think for all of the gimmicks and the reasons that we don't like cute,
1: Mm mm-hmm
0: the Ewoks did irreparable harm to Star Wars. Yep. However, I do think that whole indoor bit could be really good if given a 3d makeover and mm, it might nice. even, I don't know if it's aged particularly well and it's not any fault of the film. technique wise, it's, it's just the green screen looks really, um, the volume, I think the volume between the green screen and the characters on it lack. And it almost comes across as, Two-dimensional maybe at best. Sure, yeah. Is there one-dimensional? Um, if you give it the 3D makeover, and it doesn't even have to be like the yo-yo bouncing in front of the camera or the spear shooting into the audience's kitchen as mm-hmm. you're watching it, it could just be the depth of perception from the audience's POV. Mm-hmm. I think that film could probably uh, really benefit from that. Um, and so that's that's my first one. I had a secondary one. That um, maybe we'll give it as an honorable mention, but I'm going to go with Return of the Jedi. I think.
1: Good I'll choice. Think. Even uh, that that speeder bike uh, chase through the redwood trees, uh, would yeah, look really good with that uh, that type of technique. That kind of depth that you're you're there, but it's not like shooting out at you in front of your face. Great choice. Organic
0: too, right? Because some of that is on the speeder bike. POV. Yep. I think that that's a just organic approach.
1: Yeah, that could be cool. Yeah, and they've they and they've kind of done variations of that with like the Star Tours ride in Disneyland. So who's this, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that yep. that, could, that could absolutely work. Um, I kind of thought when you All were right, talking yeah. when you were talking about fantasy wastelands and uh, talking things and furry creatures, I thought you were either going with Dark Crystal Labyrinth Willow or Legend.
0: <laughs> Four fantastic films. You just created the best cast we've never done on the oh, show. Yeah, like
1: yeah exactly. <laughs> um, mine really jumped out at me when I when I kind of, uh, you know, thought of the question really quickly. And, you know, being that we're in kind of this horror space and, you know, supernatural uh, aspects, I think a 3D element uh, in tune with Ghostbusters would be pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah.
1: Especially that scene when the... When uh, Dickless uh, shuts down the tra- uh, the the compactor, and mm-hmm. uh, all the ghosts get unleashed in New York, and there's orbs and ghouls and uh, Slimer coming out of the the hot dog uh, stand, I think you could have a lot of really fun just with the kind of the visual. And maybe mine would be more gimmicky, where they're kind of jumping out at you. But also yeah. in that opening library bit, when they're like, "Get her!" and she and she just comes alive like that could be pretty cool with the right 3d type of technology um so that's gonna be my choice yeah um i don't know I, how I, like that one. I don't know how maybe we'll talk about this with the film i don't know how people were able to watch this film or jaws 3d for longer than two or three minutes wearing those red and blue glasses because you get about a headache after like Four, five minutes of that stuff. so how they were able to sustain the length is remarkable uh, but that was kind of the benefit of when 3D came back in the late 2000s was it wasn't those kind of oxidized lenses it was yeah. regular lenses and then you know it was providing that kind of depth through the the screen and I think it, it was popular for a bit and it's kind of kind of died out. you don't really see it too too often anymore but um, interesting. What was your honorable mention? I'm curious about it.
0: I thought another possibility would have to do with skyscrapers, and so Die Hard came to mind because oh, I think nice. the yeah. the length from where we are to the ground and the shafts, and then just the just general action bits that tend to play pretty well with three dimensions um, could be particularly interesting. I did back off on that a little bit because as that film does have a bit of a claustrophobic effect to it. Uh inside caged in three D with too much depth might cause a whole lot of uh
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> balance issues and vertigo issues for people and I don't think people want to go and have uh, Scotty show up and get him a cane on a stool. So maybe maybe not, but maybe be interesting.
1: I look up, I look yeah, down. I look yeah. up, I look down. <laughs>
0: It's not coming to my rescue, unfortunately.
1: Exactly. Oh, man, that's great. Uh, Honorable mention for me, again, in that kind of same uh, supernatural spooky. I also think Poltergeist would suit the format really well. Um, Yeah. Something about that. That period in the eighties where the, kind of, some of the monsters looked the same, but we talked about that on our Patreon watch along of that like bird skeletal creature that's like bearing down on Joe Beth Williams would look so cool yeah. in like a, another dimension. Agreed. Yeah, and, and that that uh, that elongated hallway shot when she's running down and it's like stretching. I think that oh, yeah. that that would you know, suit, suit the format really well. So I don't know. I was just like, it it does seem like it suits horror pretty well. I mean, house of wax Mm -hmm. back in the day, utilized that creature from the black lagoon. Like they are genre films that, you know, mostly utilize this technique. And then when it came back in the eighties, you know, jaws and uh, this one, it was kind of horror again, but great. One quick
0: quick thought about jaws. I know that that's, not a good story but for all of the reasons I think that you and I chose the four that we mentioned I think Jaws has a lot of that in play as well Mm -hmm. it just was so preposterously stupid yeah Uh, maybe think about that right large animals in the water maybe actually you know that I think about it for three dimensions to work you have to have a field of vision and something in the background right that Mm -hmm. gives you that depth and what does water look like in the background? So maybe that's part of the problem because it yeah, just it could looks be. like blue nothing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I don't, it's I don't, I don't, frame I don't, of reference—the shark coming to you and it's swimming towards the camera to gobble you—it feels like in the audience, but there's no depth of perception behind it. That I didn't thought about that. Maybe that's um, the, the la- reason why. And maybe that's the reason that film didn't work.
1: The last shot of Jaws 3D is. Um... Dennis Quaid and I can't remember the other actress's name, Um, his love interest. Uh, They're like in the water and then the two dolphins like Cindy and Sandy, they jump out of the water and they're like almost like rotoscopes. So they're not even there in the shot, but they're like do a jump and then they freeze frame and it is the dumbest thing. <laughs> Pure cheese oh, beyond cheese it's like <laughs> a, a deep fried gruyere like what even whatever that even is like baked brie it's just it's unreal great That's choice um i cheers my cheers jason too. mug to you and cheers. let's get right into this thing with our review breakdown of friday the 13th part three
3: hey shelly come on out and meet your date bring
2: her to me maybe this wasn't such a good idea
3: Mm-hmm. Sex, sex, sex. You guys are getting boring, you know that?
2: What would a weekend in the country be without sex? C- cool, it, Andy. Didn't mean it that way.
3: Look, you guys, <laughs> I want you to have a good time this weekend. What happened to me at the lake happened a long time ago. I'm fine, really, okay? Just forget about me. Oh, I'm supposed to forget that we've been oh. friends. With- ah god damn it, Shirley. Why do you always have to
2: be such an asshole? I beg your pardon. I'm not an asshole. I'm an actor same thing look Shelly you're my roommate and I like you most of the time but you gotta quit doing those things now I got your date didn't I didn't I yeah so don't embarrass me just relax be yourself would you be yourself if you look like this (laughs) (laughs) the best part of
1: that whole thing is when uh chris higgins gets out of the thing is like shelly come out and meet your date bring her to me <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, gentlemen. i know you probably think there's not a lot to uh, to discuss in that sequence but we, we're going to come back to it because there's a bunch of crazy stuff going on there and i just want your 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 take on a lot of what's happening in that particular scene but let's jump to the beginning. And I really think you and I are onto something. And I think we first discussed this in Rocky Three or Rocky Four. Uh, th- those that that breakdown of yeah. uh, the recap before we get into the the yeah. next entry. Um, I really think that this was done, especially in this franchise and in Rocky, because you know the home video market and the streaming market wasn't like what it is now compared to '82. So you had your one shot to see Friday part two in 1981 for whatever yeah. it's theatrical window was four months. If you didn't, that was it. It would be a while before you could see it on TV. There weren't like uh video stores where you could rent it. If you wanted to buy it on Betamax or VHS, it was going to cost you almost maybe a hundred dollars. Uh, yeah. so it was hard to watch things again unless you saw them in the theater. So, I think audiences back then really did need a recap of last time on Friday the 13th. Here's where we left you off and here's where we're going to continue it. What do you kind of think of that?
0: It's a great idea. And actually the beginning of the film, as we pick it up in Jason's little shantate. Oh yeah. With the revisitation of, what would you call it? The altar. That he's built for his mother.
1: Yeah, the his uh, mother's uh, funeral pyre, the altar to her yeah. severed head, yeah. I think that really works,
0: actually. That mm-hmm. six to seven minutes gets you up to speed. Uh, maybe doesn't speak to how complex the plot was, if you can just watch the end of the film and pretty much know what happened prior to viewing number three. But nonetheless, that's you know, a slasher horror thing, so once I get too particular in what's good and bad, because that's genre-specific.
2: Uh-huh. But I
0: think that actually really works. Yeah. Um, My question for you is the final girl in two.
1: Yeah, Ginny. The one that we see. What's her name? Her name's uh, Ginny Fields. This is a strange, strange decision that's
0: made here. Whoever played Ginny Fields, I can't imagine, had offer after offer beating down the door. Sure, yeah. To return for three. Mm Mm-hmm. The Chris character that ends up playing such a vital role in the third film uh-huh. should be her, Jesse.
1: Oh, you're you're absolutely right and the you you have the producer's hat on as well because that's what they wanted to do. Uh, I think the direct uh, original direction of three was to continue with Ginny's story in I think either college or like a mental institution where she's trying to like get over her what happened in part two. And then Jason, so they could try a hospital. No one had ever done that before. Yeah, exactly. Have her comatose in a bed. Yeah, no one would notice. Uh, so the intention was to continue with her, and then at the behest of her agent, I think, said you don't want to do another one of those spook movies again. So she said no, and has since then regretted that decision because she did really like doing the Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. She's a fan favorite, in fact. So I'm with you. I think that's a colossal miss just right off the bat, not continuing with her character, which if memory serves me right, that was like a year ago already. Uh, We really, I think, liked her character, her ability to psychologically confuse Jason and put the mother's sweater on and try to talk down to him to stop the madness, I thought was different and and unique to, to her. Here we say, screw all that. And then, yeah, we just start with a a new group uh, of people that aren't even really camp counselors. They're just kind of friends going away for a weekend. So it's cool that you picked up on that because that was the intention.
0: Well, the uh, Dana Kimmel character that plays Chris Higgins in the film has a very similar character bio to the final girl for number two, you can see that in their intentions, mm-hmm. they wanted to, and again, the final girl is going to be fairly resourceful and savvy and all of the things that allow the term final girl to be given to her, which would be the final survivor. Right. Yeah. So some of that just naturally falls in line with the way the story would be uh, portrayed on the screen, but they did write Chris in much the same fashion and I found that to be kind of confusing, to be honest with you. Like, I kept thinking, gosh, is this character, I know I'm not supposed to pay attention to the hair color and the different body and the face and all this, but is this character
1: the same? her? Yeah, and,
0: yeah, and it, it's, um, so for as much as three starts off really well by recapping two, mm-hmm. um, I mean, the mistakes just kind of sort of start to be compound from this point, but this was one that was really, really, really avoidable. And uh, that gal from number two should have fired her agent. Jesus. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's a, this could have been. And then we'll get to the numbers later. But then also financially, also not a good decision to skip out on this one. So uh, right, yeah. Uh, so we start out. You know, we get our three dimension title cards that shoot out at us. Like if this was Richard Don or Superman, uh, with yeah. our cool disco theme, and then we kind of we get back to it to present day. And they do kind of a cool like tracking shot in from like above this general store. And then all the way up to this clothesline, which is for a $2 million film, that's like an elaborate shot. So I was quick mm. to make note of that. And they were using like a kind of interesting crane system, but it was so time consuming that it only shows up here because it was such a pain in the ass. Uh, wow. But this crystal like a uh, general store run by Edna and Harold Hockett uh what is even going on with these two? This is a weird thing. Harold spends his days eating the fish food, uh, donuts, uh, peanuts, and drinking the juice that is meant for his patrons. So buyer beware Mm -hmm. going into this store. And they're they're just kind of meant to just be kind of quick fodder uh, for Jason to A, get a new outfit because he's going to lose the bag head and the overalls. And just kind of go with like a forest green and some slacks. Uh, But I want to do something that's interesting here. And we'll, we'll see if I can kind of keep up with it. Because this has always been a fascinating thing for me. So original Friday the 13th with Kevin Bacon takes place in June, June, Friday the 13th in 1979. What we learned from part two was that that was five years later. So we're living in 1984, even though that movie's coming out in 81. So that's Friday mm-hmm. the 13th, who knows which month, May or June, 1984. I imagine this scene right here, this is Saturday the 14th, because the woman is watching the news footage of Ginny being lowered into or put into the ambulance, it's daytime. Yep. And then so when we cut to Chris and her friends, that would be sa- uh, Sunday the 15th and then when she her her next day would be monday the 16th when she's getting into the police car after the events of this film so parts two three and then when we get into part four all kind of take place within like a five-day window which is kind of fun and remarkable we had a Mm -hmm. lot of fun talking about halloween kills just on the phone this week and we're going to do that on the patreon uh coming up uh, this week but to kind of just encapsulate like the damage that Jason does in a five day window is staggering. This guy kills like 50 plus people (laughs) over a a short span. And uh, I just don't think, I don't know if if moviegoers realize that these are all meant to kind of take place back to back to back.
0: There's two, that's a, that's a great catch. I didn't even snap on that either. So um, yeah, Mm -hmm. there's two things I'd like to bring up though. Um, One with, with Jason particularly, it's not Freddie's movie and it's not Michael's movie. It's Jason's movie. I really, I I completely understand that.
2: Yeah.
0: But for the collateral damage that is spread out over this four to five day window that we see from two to the end of three, Mm
2: -hmm. does Jason seem
0: in his lumbering backwards, ignorant brutish way Mm -hmm. capable of dispensing that amount of carnage among the unwitting. Do you buy that?
1: I I don't buy it in these first two because he does seem so kind of goofy and, and aloof at times where he like Chris kind of one ups him several times in the final girl circuit at the end where the, like a log over the head, a knife to the, to the thigh She's able to hang him in the barn, so he's not having his best day. It's not until the next one where like he's so rampages, like in the Michael we got in Halloween Kills, where like nothing can stop him until he gets kind of yeah. uh, uh, psyched out again by little Tommy Jarvis. Um, right. So yeah, I agree with you. I don't. I don't think in this he's capable. It's almost like he's like lucking into it. You know what I mean? He's picking like simpletons to kind of off and yeah but I don't, I don't i wouldn't see him as like a proficient killer you know freddie's got his games and the way he's gonna kind of go about you know selecting his victims to me maybe michael seems the most still this is kind of this is such a geeky whore i love this conversation by the way michael,
0: no is, I, i'm right with you he Mike, seems the most
1: omnipotent yeah michael's like the most like stealthy kind of like almost like a like a like a Navy SEAL or something, you know what I mean? He's, like, very yeah, yeah. in the shadows and uses the shadows. Jason's just kind of there and looks into it, you know what I mean? Right, yes.
0: If you don't go to Jason, and I mean to him, like, literally knock on his door, you're pretty good. Michael, I mean, I know it's Haddonfield, but really the whole state of Illinois and the whole globe is really his playground. Mm-hmm. He's just everywhere at the same time. You know, maybe it's because hockey season started, and so I've been spending a lot of time in that headspace. But I was thinking about the amount of carnage that Jason dishes out, as you were talking earlier. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the hockey game is finished, and you're in the shootout, okay? Sure. And you decide to put your enforcer, defenseman, third-line paired goon as the final shot in the shootout. And that's how I feel about that amount of violence that Jason is able to adjudicate (laughs) among the masses in this because it's just, for him to kill you, it is hours
1: of stalking because he's so slow. Well, and then when they do show up at Higgins Haven, this uh, cabin, Chris's family cabin, He's there mm-hmm. hanging out in the barn. I mean, he could take care How? of all these. Yeah, he could take care of all these people relatively quickly and he just really takes his time with it.
0: Okay, so here's the second question I have for you. Okay. Is there a difference in this film with this first couple that we meet that runs this general store that takes from what feels like maybe New New Hampshire or Vermont? And turns it into West Virginia.
1: Well, uh, we're in California in reality, where we where we filmed it. But and I think that's part of the problem. I mean, it definitely doesn't feel like the crazy Ralph General stores and things that we got in the prior two films. It doesn't feel that like has that East Coast vibe, uh, so to speak. Well, it doesn't, and I mean, for for the New Hampshire versus West
0: Virginia, we could do. Oregon versus San Diego and nothing Mm -hmm. against San Diego. Yeah. It's, it's more rural, (laughs) Mm -hmm. even though both of those areas are rural and rednecky. I don't know. I just, Mm -hmm. they're all, all of those places are secluded and sequestered and isolated. But by choosing this couple that runs this general store, And showing them in the manner that they do, which Hmm. is knitting, watching the newlywed game, rollers in your hair. Yeah, rollers, yeah. 15th time on the can. Yeah. (laughs) After he just finished eating the peanuts from the planter's bucket that he had opened with his pet. Like, it just, yeah. it, It almost turns it into me for the final point on this. It almost turns it into a Texas chainsaw y kind of feel. Yeah.
1: I think it probably it, it lacks the shark brutality of what that film was, but like the vibe sure. of like what those people bring. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I I totally see that. So we're, we're out of
0: theme mm-hmm. and now we're trying, I think, to mitigate that Yeah, with gimmick. Yeah, right.
1: exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what we're doing. And I think at the end of the day, we're not telling the story that we originally wanted to tell. So there's another kind of thing holding us back. And, you know, you mentioned the gimmick, the whole 3d of it. Uh, One of the worst 3d gimmicks is so this couple gets killed. And then we cut to the middle of like a residential street and there's a boy with like a baseball bat and the bats like really lodged in the frame. But I'm like, first of all, who holds a baseball bat in that (laughs) direction? Uh exactly. it, that didn't make sense, but the 3D uh, aspect of it all dominated this entire production where the were story and performances were just like, yeah, that's whatever. We really need to get these 3D things shot. and even that was laborious uh, to get the yo-yo and the popcorn and the juggling. like it had to be just right in the frame to even create the effects. So countless takes, So, when you're spending, when you're doing, you're going the Kubrick route and doing hundreds of takes of the silly shit, and then you're doing, like, two or three takes of, like, the actual acting, your priorities are set. You know what I mean?
0: Yep. Uh, Funny you brought up the yo-yo, because I found that to be so annoying, and so obviously, look what we can do, audience. This is called 3D.
1: Exactly, yeah. And it was just, like, they had to do it multiple times just to kind of get it right, so... (laughs) the depth did anything, if anything, like how, how do we know? we've never seen it with these 3d glasses with the red and blue uh, lenses, but it probably <laughs> didn't even look good in that either. Uh, but these these, this group of kids, you know, so in part one, they're opening up the camp. Mrs. Voorhees squashes their plans in part two, Paul Holt is uh, training counselors at a neighboring camp. Don't go over to camp crystal Lake because of the tragedy that happened uh here we just got a a group of friends dare i say friends hang on a second uh that are gonna Mm -hmm. just go spend uh, a week at chris's cabin so you have chris higgins we've talked about her uh we have debbie and andy and they're very uh apt to tell us that debbie's pregnant at least four or five times (laughs) Uh, right yeah shelly uh finkelstein uh who is, I guess, Andy's roommate, because this is the question that's always boggled my mind watching part three is who in God's name would ever be friends with Shelly in their friend group? Oh,
2: right. <laughs> right.
1: He's insuff- yeah. he's insufferable. Uh, he has no game. His go-to flirting technique is to fake a knife in, in your head and scare the, the wits out of everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. but he is going to play an important role uh, midway through this film. And we're going to talk about that. And I, and I can't wait to do the hockey guy. I'm going to kind of tell you the, the hockey ties to it all. Um, okay. And then uh, we have, um, so they're picking up a date for him. Uh, This is Vera. And then Vera's yeah. Hispanic and has a overbearing Hispanic mother that she is not going out with you. And then They make a point to bring out that she has food stamps later when she's buying food. Very odd and very strange.
0: Very odd and very strange.
1: The the details, like, why include something like that in a Friday the 13th movie? But then the most, uh, I think, out of left field is the Chuck and Chili, the residential uh, stoners of the group who are, like, in their mid-30s hanging out with (laughs) people in their early 20s. Obviously a Cheech and Chong-esque type thing. I mean, Up and Smoke and those movies were very popular in and around this time. And I would want to do some research to see if they actually tried to get the two of them to be in this movie. And they said no. So they just created caricatures of those two guys. Uh, Mm -hmm. I have no idea why they're here at all. Like, (laughs) other than to increase the body count and to have them uh, pass a joint in 3D to us. Uh, What what do you think of these uh, group of people um, just in general?
0: Well, I mean, I think that Chris is the most interesting and for as hateable as Shelly is, he is memorable for much the same way our guy in the wheelchair and um, Texas Chainsaw was.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, Which I
1: can't remember his name either, man. I'm struggling this morning. Franklin. (laughs)
0: Um, There you go, Franklin. Shelley and Franklin could be fast oh, friends, I God. think.
1: It'd be the most insufferable movie to ever sit through.
0: <laughs> and this is something that's come up before, right? And it's sure. how much time do they want to spend developing the fodder? Because mostly they're just to serve one purpose and that show off a really gruesome, cool death. Mm-hmm. The problem is the only other two that are really distinguishable would be Cheech and Chong, Chili, and her boyfriend. And effectively, other than almost setting the Mystery Incorporated band on fire with the (laughs) uh, pop boxing effects early on, they mostly don't do anything in the film. They don't. don't. I get They they don't. You know, if, if there's like some piece of that where maybe they're running weed for the townies or, I mean, there's, there's other things maybe they are already there because they are too old yes. to be hanging out with this group. Well, it's,
1: so, it's very yeah. evocative that there's one shot when we cut to them and they're just sitting in a, in a couch and they're just so out of it. And then we get, yeah. and then we just move on from. Them.
0: <laughs> yeah. Unless maybe the production staff wanted, you know, their little fix and the way that they made this on $2 million is let these two be in the movie for what they brought them. I have no it, idea it, because they, it, it,
1: I think think you're right. I think, yeah, they're they're just here for more more fodder because one does not, something doesn't compute here. Uh, Shelly barely computes because I just, I'm like, God, why would anyone be friends with him and bring him along on, like, we've all been on those friend trips. I've told you about one before okay. uh, a snowed in trip and we should not have invited one person on that trip. And it was a disaster. Like this is that, yeah. this is like, don't bring Shelly. He's gonna. If you want a, a weekend of Rex, uh rest and relaxation, do not bring him at all. Uh, and I then have
0: one more. Character that go ahead. I wanted to ask you. Real quick. Okay. Okay. So Chris's boyfriend is Rick, right? Mm-hmm.
1: I got, I got a little How old so- is Chris. I think. And how old is Rick? Sure. And I have a sound clip that I'll, I'll play after I answer this. Uh, I think Chris, okay. just my guess, 21? Yeah, Rick, 21, 23, yeah. Rick, 34, 33 maybe? Maybe. Yeah.
0: If, 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 not, if not older, right.
3: Did I do something hey. wrong? Did I? No. It's just being here again. I know it's only been two years, but I feel like I've been away forever. Doesn't look like anything's changed, though. (laughs) Even the paintings are still crooked.
2: Well, you've certainly changed. Don't you even say hello anymore?
3: I'm sorry. Hello, Rick. How are you?
2: Well, that's a start.
3: Could you just slow down, please? There's a whole weekend ahead of us. Let me get to know you again. Let me get to know this place again.
1: Okay, There's only so many cold showers I can take. Jesus Christ. I'm out. Rick only wants to do one thing.
0: <laughs> Homeboy's been shining it on for two years, Jesse, I and mean, there's I mean, only so many showers he can take. And, you know, I old, love old Chris has got to remember where the doors and stuff in the place are. We oh, got a problem.
1: I know. There's that scene where he's like bailing hay up to the attic of the barn, Dark. whatever the act of baling hay, whatever that means. Uh, and he's like, I think we need to set aside uh time to fulfill our needs once in the morning, one hour in the morning and two hours at night. It's just like, this is Rick's purpose is just like, gosh, like you brought your like dipshit friends here. Kind of wish you just came because I just want to get laid this weekend because you're right. It's been two years and I've just, I'm just, I'm just the country boy here. Can I tell you a funny story about, uh, Rick? So this is, oh, actor. Yeah. this is actor, his name's uh, Paul Kratka.
2: Kratka, yeah.
1: Yeah. My freshman year of college, I uh, took an English class and uh, it was kind of a cool class. It was kind of like, um, they kind of incorporated like films into like the books we were reading. So like we did like Philip K. Dick and Blade Runner and uh, uh, Truman Capote. We did like In Cold Blood and uh, the, the movie with Robert Blake. It was, yeah. it was a really cool class. It was a, kind of an interesting way to kind of tackle uh, an English class with, with films. It's, you know, so it spoke directly to me. The teacher of the class, cool. I was convinced when I came in on day one, I was like, that's Rick from Friday the 13th, part three. Like, oh, I right I right. kid you not, he looked exactly like him. He didn't have, wow. his name wasn't Paul Kratka, Mr. Kratka. But Matt, I, this is one of my most embarrassing moments of my life. I went up to him Um, at the end of one day and I was, I just like said, I was like, are you, were you in Friday? Did you play Rick in Friday the 13th part three? And he's like, (laughs) no, I didn't. I was like, but like for me to just even stomach, like going up to like ask just felt so embarrassing. And then like when he said no, I was just like, of course you're not like, what was I thinking? But Matt, it was like his doppelganger. I swear. Did he back it up with, I get that all the time? Or did, No, I mean, like, he didn't even, he probably, nothing. I don't even think he had seen the movie I was referencing. So <laughs> no frame of context. I just, it was like me, like a fanboy going up to like prove if I was right or wrong. And I was so wrong. But That's anytime dope. I watch this movie, I'm like that guy. I was like, I think he was my English teacher. I was like, maybe he was just pulling a fast one on me. So here's my question.
0: Okay. <laughs> That's a terrible story, but awesome at the same time. Yeah. Well, could you could you sign my Friday the 13th movie just so I could pretend like I met him? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah, that would have been pathetic. <laughs> um, if we struggle with Chili and Teach, <laughs> yeah. and now we're struggling with Rick, I get that the $2 million budget doesn't leave much for casting in the ways of, we spent all this money technically to get the 3D bit, so here's what's left. Mm-hmm. As weird as those three characters are, okay, are they weirder or more unnecessary than the motorcycle gang?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. that's uh, what I've
0: been done to ask you about. Because the one thing the motorcycle gang does offer is Shelly's singular redeeming moment in this film. Sure, yeah. But other than that, I get fodder. We're already at a level of like 12 to 13 pieces of fodder prior eh, maybe 10 prior to the motorcycle gang and i'm going to finish this up and then i'm gonna hand you the reins on this sure go ahead after the general store couple gets killed in the first 16 minutes of the film i timed it yesterday we don't have another kill for almost 57
1: minutes yeah i believe it
0: so motorcycle gang did Mm -hmm. one of those look like you're uh economics teacher your sophomore year in no and
1: he, too, d- or is that he, he 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 did not look like my economics teacher but yeah these, this is Ali uh loco and fox <laughs> yeah and uh one of them should be familiar to us so Ali, yeah. um we saw him a couple weeks ago in fright night he's the guy that tries to take uh get dairy jerry, jerry dandridge out of the nightclub and jerry slashes him across the neck
0: oh wow yeah yeah
1: uh, yeah, I, I believe that's 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 Ali. Yeah, no, I think they do offer a couple a couple things. Uh, three things: fodder, Shelly's redeeming things. So they go to that that store to get supplies. They kind of you know have a bit of a a, a pitter patter back and forth of you know you can have your wallet back if you say please, and then yeah, Shelly pulls like a Pee Wee Herman and runs all over <laughs> all the all the the motorcycles and pisses them off and it's it's a good stand-up moment for someone who's just so pathetic
2: uh
1: and then i think what it also does too is it kind of leaves us like not with without the out which is they come into it's almost like they're pulling like it's like revenge of the nerds like they're pulling like pranks on uh on the kids instead of like we're gonna mess up their van we're gonna siphon their gas and so they can't get out of here and then that's when they yeah. all, that's when they all die. But later, when Chris tries to leave in the van, it's that's empty, so she kind of gets stuck. So when yeah. we talk about outs well, she finds the
0: reserve tank, right? <laughs> yeah. So
1: yeah, when we talk about outs, I think you know we kind of get stuck here in Higgins Haven, and that's where you know Jason's able to kind of prey on us. But I thought a kind of a cool death that that pitchfork through the neck on Fox, and then she's kind of hanging from it. I thought was pretty effective. And then the other one kind of gets stabbed with the pitchfork, and then Ali goes in to try and fight Jason, then gets knocked unconscious, and then later decides, he's like waking up during the final climatic battle, he decides to wake up, now's the time to jump into action, only to get his hand cut off, and then just this evis- evis- eviscerated with the machete, like... You waited for that yeah. moment? Like, you could have picked any other moment to make your appearance, and then I was like, yeah, that's poor timing on you, buddy.
0: And then this is when you show up to yeah get, get sliced. <laughs>
1: um, yeah,
0: I don't know. Uh, I think one of the opportunities that maybe this misses is what exactly the three of them could mean insofar as how the story shakes out with possible... Showcasing of ways to get to Jason.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so Shelly is not going to offer much resistance. Let's be honest about that. Maybe Rick. He seems to be you know, fairly physical, and I think with with Jason in particular,ly one of the things you have to do, and he's also semi susceptible, mm-hmm. is you kind of have to muscle him up a little bit. Yeah. Like I think that there is um, a reasonable amount of evidence to show, like you can kind of at least bang him around and buy yourself some time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that Ali character in particular, because he seems to be the most hardened, street-level badass of the group, kind of presents that at the end,
1: but... Not when his first move is a, a lopped-off hand, you know what I mean? He could have been.
0: That's true, that's true. It, okay, so maybe that's kind of what I'm getting at. It feels like he should be the most capable of taking down something that is as hulking as Jason is. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would actually even say if they set, you know, their original plan is I think to set the barn on fire Mm -hmm. after they drain the mystery machine of its gasoline. then I think they're going to use that to set the barn on fire. Exactly. Yeah. If that happens, then what it does is they burn down, again, and we don't know why Jason has left the altar that he built in the Shun's to go to this new nearby place, whatever, okay. But if they burn down something that belongs to Jason, then that directly puts them in his sights, and I think it gives the film a bit more purpose other than, and maybe it matters and maybe it doesn't, I don't know, other than just having these three badasses show up To just be three more potential victims. Sure, yeah. If they burn down or do something that stokes the fires of Jason, haha, pardon the pun, with the gas, Mm -hmm. then I think it starts to create a more thorough feel with the story in itself. And I know we're not going to slasher horror films for complex story and motivations and internal and external arcs and all that. I know, but they
1: they can do that. I mean, it's they sure.
0: Yeah. I think, and I think it's a missed opportunity with that group because they are, yeah. they, they're, they're recognizable and each, each one of the three of them, I think could bring something interesting. And especially if they have to kind of team up at the end because they have no other options and it's you and me versus Jason or it's all versus all.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I, I agree completely. I mean, we've heard already-
0: choices across the board with what they have these characters
1: do. Yeah, we we've already and we already stated that like they're spending all their time doing the takes of the 3D stuff, so all this stuff is just kind of like yeah, okay, whatever. Just yeah, go about it, do do what you want. Uh, yeah. and and then this happens, and this scene just kind of comes out of nowhere.
3: And standing there was this hideous looking man. He was so grotesque, he was almost inhuman. He had a knife. And he attacked me with it. I was so hysterical, I don't know how I was even able to think, but I kicked the knife out of his hands and I ran. He ran after me, and he caught me, and he pulled me down on the ground. I was kicking and screaming and yelling, but it didn't do any good. He dragged me along the ground. I blacked out. I don't know what happened after that. I
2: just don't know.
1: First of all, that's that's got to be the audition scene that all the Dana Kimmel and whoever else auditioned for Chris Higgins, they came in and read this scene. You can just tell that like it's a heavy dialogue dump. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like, what kind of performance is she going to bring to the table? This, this is, <laughs> okay. yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's laugh at that. Yeah, Dana Kimmel. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, this scene just is just completely bonkers. I think in the pantheon of Friday the 13th, because, you know, we talk about Jason being a simpleton and just a brute. And I think it's interesting that they try and, you know, tie that Chris had this encounter with Jason in the woods one night and had to fight him off. And that's why she's so kind of, you know, struggled kind of going back to your Ginny fields. Story. Mm-hmm. This would make more sense if it was her character because she did have right. a tussle with Jason. So they're trying to do that same thing. And then just kind of allude to like, maybe Jason got, you know, you know, sexually curious with, with, with this person, you know, why, why would he not? I mean, he has that kind of, he has that seven year old brain. Uh what did, mm-hmm. you, what did you kind of think of, of all this kind of just, it comes out of nowhere too. it. Like, it's like the midpoint of the movie and you're like, okay, I guess. <laughs>
0: Okay, so I'm going to make an admission to you after I finish watching this. I was so certain that Chris was the Jenny Fields character that I actually kind of went back just to do a little reading and made sure, did I miss something? And maybe, because, you know, sometimes yeah. they will use the same character portrayed by a couple different people, see Terrence Howard and Don Cheadle. There you mm-hmm. go, there's one for you right off the top of my head. Yep. Okay, and in fact, they're not, but this is, really troubling because it's just sort of shoehorned in here as like, Oh yeah, by the way, I had an experience with this son of a bitch too, Mm -hmm. which so clearly is supposed to be Jenny recalling what happened. Yeah. With Jason. And so here's my question. I'd like to think that even on a $2 million budget that had to have plenty of pre-production for at least the technical pieces of the 3d. Mm Hmm that they didn't go the Casablanca route, and that's page by page, day by day, shot by shot. And I guess we'll shoehorn this Chris Higgins bit in here where she had an encounter with this guy, even though no one knows anything about either one of them in that space. Because, well, it's kind of scary, and maybe we need four more minutes of footage to make a 90-minute movie. So it just feels... I feel like I said organic a lot today. So inorganic,
2: yeah. In an you.
0: attempt to try to make what was clearly org- organically derived at the beginning, mm-hmm. but bonkers. And there's a lot of things because Jason goes to space. There's a lot of things <laughs> that happen in Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Yeah, this scene is, as you would say, bananas. What? In, what? What? what are we doing? Unbelievable! I
1: know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the Jason physical assault, because yeah, he would normally kill everyone. Like why here And in order to kind of make Chris matter more at the end, that way she has some kind of stake in it to like, kind of, but she doesn't find out he's, that's the same guy until he takes the mask off. So as far as she knows, she's fighting just like a rando, uh, a creepy guy. I've always found this scene bizarre and I'm like, gosh, this does not to, need to be in there. And, it's only to get them far away from the massacre. That way, when they come back, the everyone's dead. You know what I mean?
0: You know the one thing that um, makes me also kind of appreciate even a little bit more right now is that particular chapter in VHS that we spoke about not too long ago. Oh yeah, the final girl that comes back with the bait to catch mm-hmm. the, the killer.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, post attack it's interesting to see what happens with other Heather Langenkamp or Jamie Curtis Mm -hmm. or the Jen Chris character in this film. Mm -hmm. What does that leave Nev Campbell where that works to what state does that leave the final girl in? Yeah. And if that attack that they shoehorn in and that dreamlike flashback narrative voiceover weird, whatever the hell that is says or teaches her, and here's what I learned, Yep. blah, 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 then that gives them something to build on with her that they can use against Jason. Mm -hmm. Because you're right, Jesse. The second part of that, like the final battle between her and Jason is a pretty good one. I think that part sort of works as far as Chase. Yeah. But she's pretty pissed, and I guess she would be pissed, and it goes one of two ways. It's like, oh, my God, you killed all my friends. And I'm in shock, so now I'm incapable of defending myself. Or, you motherfucker, yeah, you killed all my friends, and you're gonna pay. Mm-hmm. And this flashback is so set up to do the latter there, but again, it's just a miss. And it is it a is it a writing miss? Is it a pre production miss? Is it a, look we don't give a damn? Just get the yo yo on the camera two yeah, more it's, times.
1: It's it's that one. It's that. One. <laughs> it's hard to say, right? Because
0: it's actually, to be honest with you, as as bananas and bonkers as it is,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's not entirely a terrible setup if they would have paid it off. Yeah, you're right. I think I think there, there's things to play with. Everything just seems so half baked in this film. <laughs> half baked, yeah. Half baked <laughs> with the, the the stoner couple over there. Um, exactly. But let's get to let's get to the kills. Yeah.
3: I'm sorry. I got it. Who are you? What are you doing? Hey, now cut that out right now. That's not funny. (laughs)
1: Alrighty, so let's get to this first because this is this is pretty monumental in terms of just how this what this series is. Um, yeah. So Vera, you know Shelly's, you know he had time to put a wetsuit on and <laughs> play another prank. Shelly goes off and investigates a strange noise, gets his throat slit, and I guess is wandering around this farm for a few minutes. In the meantime, <laughs> Jason takes the hockey mask and emerges there on the dock, throws a, a, shoots a harpoon into, into Vera here, another 3d effect. But this is the first time we get the iconic hockey mask uh, on screen. It's so weird that it comes towards the end of this film. And it's been what is identified by the character in this franchise going forward. I mean, for all the misses and have to baked uh, everything that this film is and the 3d schlockiness here's something that's stuck and stood the test of time. I mean, we're drinking out of mugs with the guy's face on it. What do you th- yeah. what do you think of that? I mean, that, that almost seems, and I would say, you know, Goldfinger was also another, like to me, Goldfinger's the bond film where they like, they nailed the formula. So that's mm-hmm. three films in. So here we are three films in with this one. And we kind of finally figured out what this guy should look like big hulking. And now he's got to have a cool mask. Um, What do you think of the hockey mask? And then I'll tell you a little, the the trivia after that.
0: Yeah, great look. Um, Iconic and hidden and all of the things that you would expect to go with the way Jason plays it out, right? Strong, brutish hockey mask totally fits that. Um, Shelley's introduction into the film should have some hint that he has that, or it should be used in some manner. Um, even if he's in the back of the van and somebody's throwing popcorn or shit at him, and he's blocking it with his face or something. I mean, there's you know, so that we get a bit of a where that came from. But I mean, he he does look, he does put all of the-
1: yeah he does put it on in that prank there. But it's like, and then it's too little, too late. I, I kind of agree with yeah. you. Like, if that was like his like favorite mask to wear for his pranks like it should have shown up a couple the rule of three it should have shown up a couple times and then when we see jason put it on we're like oh that makes sense it's 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 what we're leading to
0: i want to get to your trivia and then i want to talk about the vera sanchez death particularly um but no it's it's the original question i think that the mask looks great and you know when we go with with jason it's the mask so just mm-hmm. give him credit we've been hard on him let's be fair and give him credit uh good job whether it was by hook or crook they did get this part of it right
1: so there's that absolutely uh so of course everyone wants to take credit for this because it is so iconic in horror and even just in in general in cinema i mean when you think hockey mask you think oh it's jason Voorhees now uh so um a few guys on this crew and this was an unruly crew to begin with. They were non-union crew. They spent all day <laughs> drinking margaritas and doing cocaine. Uh, yeah, so this is this is the type of uh okay. set workers that we're we're dealing with here. It sounds like a nightmare, but some of them were hockey fans. So, one of the the three, uh. the 3D supervisor his name was Martin J uh S- Safoff or Sadoff. Uh, I think it's Safoff. And uh, he had a hockey mask, so they took a mold of it. So it the mold of the Jason hockey mask is a 1950s Detroit Red Wings goalie mask. How about that. Yeah, and so interesting they, they, yeah they did they did kind of some molds of it and then um, and yeah, that, that's that's kind of what, what what they used. and even kind of going forward that when Chris uh, sticks him in the head with the axe and he kind of has that slit up top, that slit's yeah. gonna be present in the mask for every film going forward. It was that that kind of piece is kind of always be consistent. But yeah, yeah you're right. For as hard as ridiculous as Shelley yeah. is, and as a nightmare as this film's production and really not checking the boxes, we nailed this part here, and this is something that's stuck going forward. To it's what's synonymous with the character, and that's it's no more iconic than uh, Freddie's um, knife glove. Mm-hmm. So then, our other kid- two. Go ahead. Vera, for
0: just one second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You brought it up earlier. So, when they go to the store and run into the bikers, yes. um, the cashier is very particular to let Vera know that they don't take food stamps there. <laughs> yes. And then that mostly evolves into nothing than kind of a shitty comment that the person made. What I do think is really interesting is because Shelley has taken a shine to Vera. And of course, she spurned his advances because Shelly's a douchebag. Yeah. Um, what her final action is before the harpoon goes through her eye, which, and I think that's actually a pretty interesting kill, mm-hmm. has to still do with Shelley's wallet. So mm-hmm. I guess I'm to believe, Jesse, yeah. that post running over the bikes and food stamp incident at 7 Eleven, she never gave. Shelly his wallet back Mm-mm. and is really concerned about dropping it in the the lake to where she wades into that mm-hmm. right before you know she meets her demise with that harpoon. Yeah. There's some really fertile, interesting commentary mm. to be played with there. Yes. Whether is she, you know is she going to shine it on with Shelly because he's got money? Why does the Sanchez girl not have them? Like there's a lot of very kind of cool pieces that they can play with, and if this was George A. Romero, <laughs> it'd be handled expertly well. Yeah, but instead, it just kind of it it, it has to it has to serve a purpose mm-hmm. because after Shelly comes out of the water, we are already primed that scary things can come out of the water. And being exposed to that, she wouldn't be as scared again the second time. Ha ha, Shelly. That's really funny. She doesn't even need to go after his a lot. It doesn't even need to fall in there. She needs to just calm down, sit back down hear Russell, and look down the edge of the dock. And there's Jason. She thinks it's Shelly on the hockey mask. Yeah. Ha ha Shelly, that's really funny. You're never gonna get laid treating me like that. Whammo, harpoon in the eye, but instead. I know, yeah. It's like it's fish this wallet out of the lake and Man, I, I want that to be worth and and mean something more than it does in the film, and that's probably a long list that we can continue to add on. No, I think that there, I but. think
1: that's fast. I don't think I've ever realized that before. That you're right. She never gave him the wallet back from the general store, so there is a concern there. So Vera's not like this like heartless uh, uh, paramour for for Shelley. I mean, she's willing to wade in still water with like freaking mosquitoes galore, probably to fish his yeah. wallet out because she does care yeah. uh, a little bit, not enough to go all the way with him. And especially after <laughs> the way he's treated her. Uh, but right. yeah, that, that, that's fascinating. And then Jason, like a G just drops that harpoon gun. I was <laughs> like, yeah, I did it. What are you going to do about it? And then makes his way into the, the cabin, which Matt, you played yeah. a little bit with me one time. we played the Friday, the 13th game. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, this Higgins Haven is an actual map, uh, in the multiplayer level. And I mm. gotta tell you, those people that made that game super fans have to be because the details, uh, in that game that are in here are remarkable from the, uh, you know, the, the pot of popcorn that Chuck's, uh, has there, the spiral staircases in the right place. There's a hammock in the upper, uh, bedroom, uh, it's laid out identically to how you see it here in this uh, in this scene, um, so I think that's just kind of like a, a cool little anecdote. But hammocks, yeah, yeah. hammock sex does not seem comfortable at all.
0: Oh my god, talk <laughs> about rough! I yeah, know. even exactly. to
1: even to sleep in a hammock for like a nap is uncomfortable. Like to sleep there all night, mm-hmm. that's a mistake. And then to do any type of strenuous activity in there seems like a nightmare. Uh, but here we got, you know, I, I love these slasher films because, you know, you get you end up with these characters that take on weird character traits. And it's usually something that the person was good at in uh, f- the first Friday the 13th. Do you remember how like the the girl uh, Marcy and then the, the goofball Ned, they kept doing like impressions like, you know, you're, you're funny when you're angry, sweetheart. Or they were talking like old yes. Hollywood, like that was probably like what they were good at. You know what I mean? So they right. bring that. So here in this uh, Dave or Andy, he's really sort of like good at walking mm-hmm. on his hands. So we got to use that to yeah. some effect. Uh, and what I think, and we'll kind of talk about this in the questions. Andy just gets eviscerated right through the crotch by machete wielding Jason, which I think is also yeah. the first time that Jason wields a machete in this franchise as well, which is his I, iconic weapon. What do you think mm-hmm. of that? That's brutal. Like who wants to go that way? Cause he, a probably didn't die that way. So what happened off-screen in between her getting out of the shower and getting back in the hammock was Jason crunched him 90 degrees, his legs on top of his back and then put him in the Oof. in the rafters, brutal, absolutely Oof. brutal.
0: Okay, so to be fair, yes. We're starting to see some pretty interesting ways of killing in this, right? Whether it's um you know, the pitchfork through Fox or whether it's the harpoon in the eye and now being cleaved through the crotch, Mm -hmm. uh, this, this franchise at this point has chosen to really up the stakes
2: Mm -hmm.
0: on who the star of the movie is. And that's, it's rarely the bad guy, but in slasher horror it it is the bad guy. And maybe that's, yeah, no, that's brutal. And that, that, that machete through there is that poor guy is walking on it. You can feel it, man. Yeah. Oh my
1: God. Yeah. The way his legs just kind of the yeah, the way his legs just kind of buckle as he falls down. Mm. And I think you're onto yeah. something. I think as you know, as poor as most of this film is, I think we are seeing the emergence of, like you said, the star of the show, which is Jason. We're seeing his yeah. iconic getup. We're seeing the creativity and how he's gonna dispose of people. And that's what drew people to see every one of these entries going forward. Um mm-hmm. So then, uh, uh, his uh, fiancee's his girlfriend is his pregnant. She's killed in the Kevin Bacon fashion uh, underneath a uh, uh, sleeping uh, uh, apparatus. She's killed underneath the yeah. hammock. And then now it's time to do away with, with the stoner. So Chuck has to go do some classic slasher. I even did this in the little movie I made in college. Uh, I got to go turn the generators back on. Like you got to have that scene. So Chuck goes and does mm-hmm. it runs into Jason. He's electrocuted. And then poor chili. Not, not the best actress is running around the house, running Shelly's dead. Oh my God. <laughs> help. And then she's, and then she's killed with a, with a flaming fire poker. So again, the creativity and yeah. we've kind of set the stage for Rick and Chris to come back and, Oh, my God, they've, there's water water damage upstairs, burnt popcorn smell. Yikes, that's probably the worst thing. Uh, and mm-hmm. then everyone's gone. And then uh, my poor English teacher uh, gets his head crushed into a jelly for his <sighs> eye to pop out at the screen, which is, I think, probably mm-hmm. the worst of the 3D effects, honestly. Agreed. Because his head just looks so fake there. But we finally get to it, the final girl circuit, which is Chris, you know... Manu y mano with Jason, and I think for the most part, you know, I think Ginny did really good in the last one, uh, and then prior with Alice and Mrs. Voorhees, and that scene just goes on for way too damn long. Uh, here, yeah. I think, you know, Chris is fairly capable and creative, you know, whether it's using a bookcase or using uh, his own, uh, or, uh, a knife that she finds, trying to get out of there using a log, trying to get out um, with a vehicle— uh, stringing him up with uh, news. She's trying as, as hard as she can to, to get rid of this guy. What, what do you kind of think of that? I mean, we've been pretty hard on her, and rightfully so, but I think she's fairly capable here in this scene. Yeah, I know she
0: does a good job of presenting a, uh, some opposition to a guy that's run through everybody he's come into contact with. Like I said, to be fair, the fact that they use the same hay baling apparatus that we saw with Rick earlier and then Fox even earlier before that is set up. So you understand where that's going and it's just not some set piece out of the blue. Um, No, I I think it's mostly entertaining and I think that uh, Chris is formidable Mm -hmm. and that's good to see. Uh, She's, she's a formidable opposition.
1: Excellent. So it all kind of leads to the barn here and like like we mentioned, that's when, you know, Ali decides to make his appearance and only to get killed. Um yeah. but yeah, it's revealed here, you know, Jason kind of lifts his mask up from the noose and she's just like, uh Oh, I think I have I think I have audio of that. <whistles> Looking like sloth from the Goonies as he takes that mask yep. off, uh, I we, we kind of realize like, oh my, oh my gosh, like how, how's this even gonna k- wrap up and and end? And I don't know. It's just I always kind of find the the Friday, that they just kind of run out of moment momentum. But mm-hmm. the axe through the head, I, I I guess is is the kill shot that we decided it wasn't this or it wasn't that. Like this this was it. And at the end of the day, are like, are we really believing that he's done for the count uh, after everything right. he's been through. I mean, he he took a a machete to the shoulder blade in the last one and kind of got up and was okay. But to kind of echo just kind of the laziness of this particular entry, we wrap up with another pseudo dream sequence, uh, kind of ripping off the first film again, but instead of little boy Jason, it's mama Voorhees pulling Chris into the still water. Yeah. Yeah, And I think, yeah, just their original, you know, like this little trivia, the original ending was to have Jason in a dream sequence, decapitate Chris, and he was going to like be holding up her head, but the prosthetic Jason head didn't look really good. It was an early head mold. And you know who made it? Uh, Stan Winston. Oh, really? Yeah. So, uh, rejected Stan Winston design did not make it into, into the final, um, Film, but I do think that that head mold was the one used in that flashback scene. Um, it's just mm. it's so hard to see because it's like transparent with Chris telling the story and her running around on the ground, so you can't really see it very well. Um, but then we kind of we kind of wrap it up. She's taken in by the authorities to the hospital psychiatric facility, and then Jason's corpse just laying there in the barn, and we kind of get out of it. But what do you kind of think of the the wrapping up of, of this film?
0: You mentioned the Goonies. I I thought the same thing too there. Um, We've talked about it before. Less is more and whether that's Pennywise or, or sex or the reveal of the form and sex. Um, I think one of the big mistakes that this film does is once they get Jason in the hockey mask is to d Darth Vader him too soon. Oh
1: yeah.
0: Um, Once the mask is off and you get to see the creature behind the facade that has, I mean this, moments of interest. The problem in the last seven, eight minutes, I guess, is that he's mostly, whether it's dream or an actuality, or through the window of the cabin, barn, farm, whatever that is, he's chasing her without that mask.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: For someone who's been so insistent on whether it's the sack, and I want to admit, like, I think the sack with the, the twine around the bottom looks pretty good too. It feels kind of scarecrow like, but I don't think that's mm-hmm. a terrible look either. Yeah. Yeah. With just the one eye hole, not the two.
1: It was probably As, a nightmare to been, it was probably a nightmare to wear. I think that's probably why they, they oh, switch it up, yeah.
0: Sure. You know, someone's been very particular about disclosing or not disclosing their identity. It doesn't seem to matter now, and maybe it's because she's the final girl, but again, it gets back to that. Is there a relationship between these two? Why would he be so uh, unconcerned with her seeing his true form? Blah, 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 blah. You know, that's a bit of a cerebral approach. We've already talked about that a lot. But I wish he would just stay in the mask because he doesn't look bad. You know, he he looks fine as this mutated thing.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, The hockey mask was just so much more effective. Absolutely. And then Um, I wanted to ask you a question. Go ahead. So when we fade out or pan back and it's Jason on the ground in the barn, <clears throat> we cut to the lake. And in the lake, you see a couple little ripples yes. in the water. Yeah. Look, obviously that is a bug landing in the shot and causing that or something. Are we supposed to believe or do you believe that that's an indication that there is still life below the surface or is that just a tranquil lake that goes through the normal ebbs and flows of any kind of um, organic interaction with water and animal or leaves or what have you
1: yeah i think it's meant to be entirely just ominous uh just kind of a last parting shot because it can't be the mom because she's just a head in a shack. I right. mean, it could right. be a, a fully formed body like the one that pulled her in. That's strictly nightmare yeah. nightmare fuel for Chris. Uh, yeah. So yeah, just meant to be ominous. I mean, the real evil's laying there in the barn, unattended. I mean, Jason could have made his escape here because it, it looks like the cops just like leave, uh, <laughs> just leave the, all the the wreckage there. But yeah. yeah, it's 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 a bit of a I think uh, not a great ending compared to the I think the last two films, especially that first one that has that. Great shock moment of uh, Adrian King, uh, Alice being pulled into the water. When you really kind of don't, mm-hmm. it's ending all very happy and whatnot. And here it's it's that, but less of all of that. It's redoing everything just very poorly. Uh, yeah, I do have a couple uh, bits of a little trivia here for you, and then I have a couple questions for you. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mentioned that that ending. This cabin was built from scratch, which I think is pretty impressive on a two million budget. Wow. And uh, it was burnt down, unfortunately, by a careless fan uh, just a few years ago. So I think you could actually go and tour this this little set here, but not anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is the only film to not say Jason's name, like, at all. So uh, mm. I thought that was pretty interesting. And $2 million budget, uh, $37 million gross. So I'm going to give it the... Yep. It was the... Most uh, profitable uh, Friday the 13th film until Freddy vs. Jason in 2003. So people showed it. up, whether by gimmick or what, to uh, check this thing out. And again, we're right in the middle of the slasher heyday. So it's yeah. re- really reaching its peak. And then this is, the, I think, the coolest uh, piece of trivia. It was the first movie to knock E.T. out of the number one spot in 1982.
0: Oh man, how about that? Yeah. There you go. Yeah.
1: <laughs> For what did wow. what did E.T. slay? I think I mentioned it when we did that episode. What was it like? 28 weeks straight at number one. It was like ungodly.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's impressive. Good job, Friday the thirteenth. Yeah, good,
1: good job, Jason. You're, <laughs> you're very troubled production. Um killed another star, didn't you, Jason? Exactly. What was your favorite tasting note of Friday the thirteenth, part three?
0: I really did like the beginning, the first five to six, seven minutes that yeah. recaps what happened in two. I thought was really masterfully done. Um, an honorable mention would be the part that we got into with Vera and the, wa- the wallet and that whole that whole bit. But uh, that just might be me reading more into it than what they actually designed. But so I'm going to I'm going to have to go with the the opening. I think it's terrific and it's a great way to get your audience up to speed for what's coming.
1: Excellent. I'm going to actually pick, yours- I'm going to pick yeah that Jason coming out onto the dock there. It's such an odd yeah. scene because it's it's brightly lit at night. It's like a very boring long shot of him just walking on a dock, but the ramifications of what that is and what it means going forward, audiences in 82 had no idea. It was just another shot in this movie, but for the fans, uh people that, you know, study horror and this franchise going forward that's the biggest moment in this entire movie so uh it's just just funny just like how boringly shot it is i think i with you the kill is really really cool um but Mm -hmm. everything else about it is so unspectacular but it means so much uh let's do something a little different here so for our Instead of doing, and it, it it probably would fall in line with this typical question. But let's do our best. Kill from this film. What do you What are you going with? Hmm. Want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. I got to pick hand walking Andy getting just eviscerated right down the crotch. I mean, it's brutal. It looks brutal. The aftermath of him bent up in the rafters is equally brutal and. Again, it's when we're, we're really putting the emphasis on the creativity and the gruesomeness of these these kill sequences. So that's the one I'm going to go with.
0: Yeah, that's a really good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to go with that one, or probably the Vera harpoon in the eye one. That's pretty dark, mm-hmm. too. We have to mention Fox a little bit. That is uh, kind of a cool action bit that happens. And I love the way the rope swings out and then comes back and there's nothing on it. Like, that's pretty well done.
1: Yeah, yeah. when but, she's uh, yeah playing on the, on the thing. And I think she was wearing some type of, like, harness that was, like, strapped around the rafter so that way she could kind of dangle there with, like, her feet. And it's cool that the camera shows, yeah, she's, like, being propped up by this thing.
0: So yeah, um, that's that's pretty awesome. But, look, man, I mean, when, like you said, when Jason shoots Vera right through the eye and mm-hmm. hi, everybody, meet the star of this franchise. It's yeah. just a, such a quintessential moment, yes.
1: This is going to be interesting. Who's the master distiller on Friday, the 13th, part three. Um,
0: is it Richard Brooker? Why not? The guy that plays, I think that's who I'm probably going to give it to. Yeah. That's probably where I would go with this one. Yes.
1: I'm going to give it to, I can't believe I'm going to do this. This is, you might have to revoke my master distiller card here. <laughs> I'm going to give it to Larry Zerner who plays Shelly, not for the performance because it's so ridiculous. And I hate that character so much, but his mm-hmm. importance and what he brings to this is who thought Jason was going to get his mask from some goofball, uh wannabe actor with his like uh carrot top bag of tricks uh, to yeah. uh, create one of the most iconic, not just horror characters, but film characters of all time. Uh, so I think he deserves his his due, and uh, he was kind of just plucked off the street. If you, if, I, we could believe that, right? <laughs>
2: Sure. Right. Yeah. yeah for minute, he man, so. wasn't
1: like plucked out of Juilliard's acting uh, pantheon. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to give it to yep. him. It seems absolutely. I can't give it to the director Steve Miner who directed part two because it seems like such an unruly set. Nothing really gels. The 3D's atrocious. Uh, the performances kind of suck. Um, but I'm with <laughs> you. I think Richard Brooker's really good as Jason. He's big, formidable, and he actually runs. You know what I mean? So there's mm-hmm. some threat yeah. there compared to you know Michael just. Uh, uh, glide stepping from scene to scene uh, real quick. And then I want you, I want your rating. What's the most egregious 3d effect in this, in this film?
0: Uh, I mentioned that damn yo-yo. Um, yeah. That one's pretty bad. That's pretty stupid. That's the yo-yo. You're probably gonna go with the eye, aren't you?
1: Well, the eye is really bad. I don't like the hobo with the eyeball. It makes no sense. Uh, as he deadpans yeah. into the camera, but also the very first one I believe is, um, the general store guy putting the laundry pole, trying to prop it back up. And he like takes extra care to get it into the camera's frame. I'm like, Oh man, we're trying really hard to make this work. Oh yeah. Uh, how are you going to rate and grade Friday the 13th part of three? We have rock gut, well call single barrel and top shelf.
0: It's well, but barely. It's really close to Raqqa.
2: Yeah,
1: um,
0: it's hard to say that the most successfully financial of the series is that, but this is the worst of the three. Uh, and I'm going to pose something, and you know, as the years go by, we'll we'll pose, we'll delve into this question. I don't know if this series ever gets all the way back from this. I think four is is a important film for Friday the Thirteenth, but I think that this film does irreparable harm because they were able to make such a clunker and make so much money on this. Clunker. Yeah.
1: And it becomes, um, we want more of that because it's cheap to make and we can make a lot on it.
0: And look, there's plenty of missteps in these franchises. Let's be honest about it. But I don't know. I think that's if this one ever really finds its footing again.
1: I agree with you. And I think that's part of the fun is talking about the missteps and just where they decide to take the franchise. I think warrants just conversations and then like how we would do it differently. Here it's so by yeah. the books, it's kind of hard like I think we agree we would want like the Ginny story continued um, and less of kind of what we got here. but I'm with you in the yeah. same boat. This is I think a very well film. Uh, it's not my least favorite from the franchise. I think it does have some kind of bad movie, good bad movie kind of watchability to it because of how ridiculous it is at times. This is always yeah. one I think that me and my friends would kind of kind of kind of watch a lot um but i think it is important because jason is emerging now as the star of the show and we want to see more of that um i'll tell you this the one that's coming next part 4 the final chapter is my favorite of the series and i think it's not only my favorite it's the best movie in the series so we are going to get a bump up in quality uh, considerably compared to this for the next go round
0: to Corey in there for us, so that's probably the saving grace there, right?
1: A little bit, but it's actually—I think—they play it a lot more seriously. I mean, this 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 one feels a little bit tongue-in-cheek at times. Yeah. That one is kind of kind of downright just kind of morbid at times, and the kills are good. It's dark, um, and the intention mm-hmm. with that one was to we're going to kill off Jason. So we'll save that conversation mm-hmm. for another time because there's a lot of fun, crazy stuff to talk about in that movie. And then, like I said, it's my favorite. So uh, go ahead. Um, No, no, just
0: uh, that's that's great. I think we'll have a lot to talk about there. I can't believe it doesn't even feel like it was a year ago and we did number two. It's gone by so fast. I know, right? But let's,
1: yeah, let's wrap this up with our nightcap. So why don't you go ahead and hit us with that nightcap for the week?
0: So with where things are at the end of three, I'm going to give you the range to spec number four and go with this next installment of the franchise in the direction that you think is the uh, most positive or most interesting that you can come up with. So here's your piece of paper, here's your final draft, and you get to pin number four. How about it?
1: Yeah, I think, I think that idea of the – post final girl. Cause the big problem with this series going forward is that we get like a new one in every single one. It'd be nice to yeah. stick with one going into the next one and kind of see how that plays out. And if Jason does have a vendetta where he is going to come after them. And I think it's a little bit dangerous to take Jason out of his element, which is the woods and camp crystal Lake. So I'm more hesitant to put him in like an apartment building or a hospital or like in a mental ward. Um, But I would like to see, I don't want to, I mean, you already got Chris back in the thing. So if you want to expand Chris Higgins' story and kind of two times now I've been attacked by Jason, uh, God forbid a third one should happen. What is her mental state at this point? And when he does come back, uh, how is she going to be ready to fight? Is this going to be, God, so I'm giving her a lot of credit, like an Ellen Ripley-like return, like in Aliens, like where she's like super prepared and everyone else isn't. And she has to really save the day. That could be interesting. But I I really just want to spend time with one of these characters one more time versus reestablishing another relationship with the new final girl.
0: So this is going to be kind of anticlimactic then, because that's fairly similar. Uh, Depending on how you want to take the the ending of the first one, you could make the case. I think at the end of number three, that we have three final girls.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. So let's take the three final girls post attack and they are on some speaking engagement tour on surviving crisis or whatever Mm -hmm. friendly title they give it. Yeah. There starts to be a tremendous amount of, and this is all pre-social media. So this is done on five o'clock news or, you know, tickets and like old school uh, literature and advertising and such but there does tend to be this whirlwind of people that start showing up and are very curious into what has happened, which then in that group, three or four people said, let's see if we can't go and figure out what each one of these three girls had that allowed them to survive, which takes them to Crystal Lake Mm -hmm. right back to the killer. And that then takes Chris and Jen and the chick from the first one back to rescue those three from the curiosity of what allowed those three original girls to survive. So you get at location with a team up kind
1: of, um, effect to rescue the unknowing and curious. I think that, I think that's great. I think all that, like the idea of we think evil's dead, but I need to go make sure mm-hmm. that it's dead, dead. So that would bring you back, because if you're so trauma stricken, why would you go back to the place where it all happened? You need to have intent yeah. to go there, and that's to slay the beast. You know, it almost then becomes very mytho- mythological, like a, a labyrinth or, or something like that uh, of those Greek myths, which is which is pretty interesting. And then it gives us reason to that go would back. Almost
0: play better today, contemporary, wouldn't it? With sort of the gorilla YouTube, yeah, um, click clickbait addicted video file guy. Yeah. Yeah, Like that could even play now, um, with a much older aged final girl cast. But yeah, I think that there's a lot of play in both of those. Mm -hmm. Um, and they do feel a little bit inspired by VHS and they also do feel a little dream warrior warriory too, don't they?
1: Sure. What a perfect segue. Uh, uh, Matt, this has been a lot of fun to talk about Friday the 13th part three in 3d. Uh, but, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're going to kind of wrap up next week our little Slasher 3s, uh, threes, 3s threes Company, Slasher Film Edition. And uh, being that we don't want to take this into November because the spooky season's over and we want to get into talking about other big things coming out. Uh, yeah. We're going to kind of do a fun little thing. We've never done this before, but in the style of Joe Bob Briggs and Elvira and Vampira and all those great, you know, uh, horror drive-in feature shows. We're going to kind of bring that to the Rye smile faithful. And we're going to do our own, uh, midnight double feature of (laughs) nightmare on Elm street, part three, the dream warriors and Halloween three season of the witch. Uh, this Mm. is going to be a lot of fun because Matt, I know this is the nightmare film you've been waiting for. Uh, it
0: is number one.
1: Yeah. To talk about that team, uh, who wrote it? I mean, Frank darabont has got a play in that screenplay. We get to talk about yeah. Craig Wasson again. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. We love talking about that guy. Uh, yeah. And then we're going to follow that up with the most perplexing of all the Halloween films. Uh, Season of the Witch. They tried something mm-hmm. different. It didn't work. But some people like it. We're going to see if we like it. Um the 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 killer uh, the halloween masks and the druid cult of stonehenge that's going to be just such a wild episode but we're going to do them no back to, we're going to do them back to back and give you a nice extra little rice smile for the halloween season i think that'll be a lot of fun
0: perfect perfect setup for halloween which is what sunday
1: yes yeah look at that perfect timing. listen to this on saturday and have halloween on sunday perfect perfect timing well uh Cheers uh, to you. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, hit Like we said, hit up the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Films. We're going to get into the weeds with Halloween Kills this upcoming week. And, uh, you know, yeah. we're wrapping up our, our DC Titans on the top tier there. Uh, and then we'll be talking about some other shows coming up in November. There's some big shows coming out uh, on the periphery. Um, but hit us up on any of the social media platforms or at Productions at gmail.com. Matt, I'm raising up my Jason mug to you one last time. I got to get going. I'm going to go fish through my old mask collection. And I want to see if there's something in there that could be better than a hockey mask. Um, Let's see if I can uh, outdo Shelly one better.
0: Well, yeah, I'm going to go work on my handstand. So how you got that?
1: <laughs> good luck. <laughs> good luck with that one. Uh, excellent, yeah. everybody. I got to tell you, Matt, when we I did last week's episode, uh, with No Time to Die, I had to do uh, this, and it felt very weird where I had to say, uh, we'll see you in the dark. So I'm glad that you're here to say it this week. Uh, so we'll, we'll see you all next week, everybody.
0: Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark.
1: Thank you for listening. To Rye Smile Films. For more Rye Smile content, go to patreon.com slash films for exclusive bonus episodes, plus feature length watch along commentaries on your favorite movies and TV show recap episodes covering the best from the small screen. For Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Friday the 13th, part three is property of Paramount Pictures and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time.